All right, well, good morning and welcome. Welcome to Community Bible Church. So glad to see you all with us this morning. Excited to worship the Lord together. Excited to open his word um, together this morning as well. And I hope you're excited for a great time of fellowship. Looking forward to seeing each of you. So we're going to start our service this morning um, with our first song. It's I Will Sing the Wonder Story to the Tune of Jesus, What a Friend for Sinners. Let's all stand together this morning and sing of the wonder story. Amazing Grace, my chains are gone. <laughs> <laughs> 
Our Father, we stand before you as your children and as citizens of your kingdom. We thank you that we are your children because we know that we are only because you have adopted us into your family. We were all far from you in our sin with which we came into the world, but in your grace you have rescued us and forgiven us and brought us into your family. We are your children and you are our Father, but we are also gladly your subjects and you are our King. We thank you for our country, but our citizenship is in heaven. So though the political situation is often unpredictable, we rest in the blessed truth of the blessed hope. Our Lord's return to receive us unto himself and one day establish the kingdom of which we are already members. Our hearts yearn for you and your rule. And with your people throughout the ages we say, surely Lord Jesus, come quickly. But in the meantime, we delight to serve and worship you, our Father and our King. We've gathered to honor you and thank you and proclaim you. We ask that you accept our worship as we desire that you be pleased. And we pray and ask all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you and please be seated. I want to say thank, uh, welcome and uh, glad that you could be with us this morning to worship the Lord together and also want to especially welcome those of you who are our guests today. If it's your first time with us, we're really glad that you're here. We'd love to get to know you better and we want you to be able to get to know CBC and we've tried to make that simple. If you text the keyword CBC Connect to the number 97000, you'll get a link back to our connection card as well as some shortcuts to important things on our website. So go ahead and text that, that word to that number and let us know how we can help you learn about CBC. Use the check boxes there or the uh, text area to just write any question you have and we'll get back with you. We're glad that you're here with us this morning. And if it is your first time this morning, I invite you to stop by our welcome desk before you leave today. It's just out here in the lobby area. Let them know you're our guest and we have a gift to give you to say thank you for being with us this morning. Uh, very glad that all of you are here this morning. We're gonna, we've paused in our worship through singing right now for a portion of our service that we call worship through giving. So our ushers are going to come forward and uh, they're going to receive our morning offering. We do this because we believe at CBC that everything we have comes from God's gracious hand. And we set aside a portion of all that he's entrusted to us each week for the work he's doing here. So may the Lord bless you as you give. Those of you guests I greeted this morning, I uh, didn't invite you here to ask you for money. Don't feel obligated to put anything, just let that basket pass. As the men receive the offering, we have some upcoming events I want to call your attention to. It's not our full calendar, that's on our website at cbctrenton.com. Be sure to keep an eye on that and then watch our weekly emails. If you don't get that, you can use this connection card to uh, sign up for our mailing list and then you'll, you'll know all the things that are coming up. And just before I mention the, uh, the announcements that are coming, I want to say a, a personal word of thank you to the church family. Uh, you may have heard my father, my stepfather, uh, Rex Stanley, passed away suddenly recently. And uh, many of you have reached out via text, cards. And I just wanted to, on behalf of my family, thank you for the love uh, from the church family. We really appreciate it. 
Coming up in our second hour today, we have uh, a couple of classes that we'll be offering. You see on the screen there, Gospel-Centered Marriage, that series that we started previously is going to be picking up with the finance module, and that's going to be in this room, and we invite all married couples uh, or even prospective couples you're dating or engaged and want to be prepared for what you're getting yourself into, come to this class, second hour today at 1115, and we'll begin uh, a series on finances. And then we have two other classes going on uh, at the same time. We have a class uh, for our young adults called Crossroads. That's going to be meeting across the hallway in adult classroom three. And then in our kids zone, which is kind of in the center of the building here, you can find an entrance just around the corner here across from the nurseries, as well as one down the hallway across from the teen area. Uh, That class is going to be taught by Pastor Ken. It's called Truth for Life, Applying What We Believe. And so we invite you to stay around second hour for one of those classes with us. And then just a reminder that we're offering three classes in our community institute, which began two weeks ago. Uh, Good news, you only missed one week if you haven't gone yet because we had a snow cancellation this past Wednesday. Uh, The three classes are uh, two of which are picking up a second semester, Matthew, as well as 1 Corinthians. And then Pastor Ken's begun a new class called Good Soil Evangelism. So we invite you to to come to those. There's child care for both of those. In fact, we have something starting with nursery uh, and as well as our pioneer club for all of the elementary school kids. And then junior high and senior high have high impact teens. So our midweek program has something for everybody. We invite you to participate in that. It's Wednesdays starting at 7.15, 7 o'clock if you want coffee. And I think the teens get started right away. So. And then finally, I want to encourage you, mark your calendars for our church family camp. We're going to be having that June 18 through 22 this summer, and probably nobody but me, because I'm working on the calendar, notices this, but this is a week earlier than we had it last summer. It's the week we've traditionally gone, and we picked this week strategically because we're Baptist and it's cheaper. Uh, this week actually does present a significant savings over the prime period of summer, which uh, starts the week after that, and we didn't, we weren't able to get that earlier reservation last year, so it was a bit more expensive, and then that was, that was accentuated by the fact that we also um, added a day at popular demand. We took a survey after uh, camp a couple years ago, and everybody said it wasn't long enough. We want an extra day, so we added an extra day, got a more expensive week, and then I think some of you got sticker shock last year when you went to sign up for camp. So uh, this year it's going to be a little bit cheaper than last year. We still have that extra day on there, but we've got a better week. So we encourage you to watch as in February we open up registration for that. But I wanted you to have the date because I know a lot of you are planning your summers already. And we want to have as many of you as can enjoy that with us together. And one last note on it. We call it Church Family Camp intentionally because it's not just for those of you who've got little kids. When you hear family camp, you think of that. But it's it's for our church family. So everybody's invited. It's a great time of fellowship. We have a common area that we get as a part of the camp uh, ground that we rent. And so we have gatherings for food and for games and lots of time together during this week. So encourage everybody to, who can to attend. And then so for any of these things, just a reminder, cbctrenton.com has all the details for our calendar and our events, as well as you find these in our church center app. If you don't have that already, I encourage you to download it. And if you need help finding out more of any of these things, Our Resource Center staff tries to keep up to date on these as well as our welcome desk. Stop by one of those places and they can help you out. Our scripture reading for this morning comes from Matthew chapter 6 and I'll begin reading at verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness 
in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have, their re- they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's stand now and continue praising the Lord with our song.
so true. All right. You may be seated. We'll sing one verse of Speak, O Lord, a wonderful song to sing before we open God's word as we want him to speak. So as we come to you, Lord, let this be a prayer song um, as we get ready to open his word together. Will you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew 6, and you'll need a Bible to follow along. The guys have some, so as they make their way to the back, if you need a Bible, just get their attention. They'll give you one of those, and it's our gift to you. Keep that. Bring it back every week as we look at God's Word together. <clears throat> For the next several weeks, the messages are going to be centered on the theme of prayer, and then we'll return to the book of Acts to complete our study of that book. Now, I've chosen to take some time to focus on prayer because we just concluded a few messages on the state of the church that we do at the beginning of, of each year. And that always requires evaluation of what we're doing well, but also what we need to improve. The state of this church, I was glad to say, and I'm glad to repeat, is quite healthy. And for that, we thank the Lord. But prayer is one of the areas that we need to improve. And I say that because it's true in my personal life, and I would hazard to guess it's true for many, if not most of you as, as well. And in the corporate life of our church, we have to see prayer as central to what we're seeking to accomplish so that God receives the praise when it is accomplished. You know, when you think about it, the fact that God invites us to pray, that, that God allows us to approach Him and communicate to Him should be astounding to us. A pastor in Virginia wrote about his spiritual journey, starting with having been raised in a thoroughly non-Christian home. God used the influence of a Christian high school classmate to bring this man into relationship with himself. This pastor tells the story of going to church with his friend for the first time, and in their youth group meeting that Sunday, he says this, the youth leader asked us the question, psychologists say that a person's ethics, personality, and character are set in stone by age seven. And then he asked, do you agree with that? 
He says, I thought it sounded reasonable enough, but then he told us that Christians believe in a God that can reach down into the world and change, change a person at any point in their life. This absolutely floored me. I knew that Christians believed in God, but I had always imagined that they believed in a form of deism. Now, deism is the idea that God got the ball of the universe rolling, but it's now hands off and he sits back and watches it happen. And so he goes on to say, it had never dawned on me that these people believe that God is active in the world and could even be active in my own heart. I had never heard anything that outrageous before, and I really didn't know what to make of it. Later that day in the worship service, this teenager came to faith in Jesus Christ as his Savior, and as I said, he is now a pastor. And the thing that captured his attention was a God with whom we could interact and who was active in our lives personally. But for those of us who have been in a Christian environment for years, perhaps our entire lives, there are so very many things that we take for granted. As the familiar becomes routine and the routine becomes mindless. And so we go through motions without thinking about what it is we're doing. And how absolutely mind-blowing it is that we can have a personal relationship with God, interacting with Him and He with us every moment of our lives. Our non-Christian culture, of course, does not believe this. Even if many say they believe it on paper, they do not believe it in practice. That God is a person with whom we interact person to person. Perhaps nowhere is our belief in God and the type of God in whom we believe, perhaps no place is that tested more clearly than in how we pray. The true and living God is is good, and in His goodness, He supplies what we need. And so He supplies instruction on how to approach Him in prayer. Jesus taught on it in the passage to which I've asked you to turn, a passage that's part of Jesus's famous Sermon on the Mount that goes from Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And in the midst of all of that teaching, Jesus gave instruction on how we're to carry out our religious duties, things like giving and praying and fasting. And he said we must do so in a God-centered rather than in a self-centered manner. And in his section on praying, he talks not only about how we should pray, and that's what we're, the message is about today and into next week. I think this will be a two-week message on this section on prayer. But he tells us not only how we should pray, but how we should not pray. In verse 8, he says this, Do not be like them. And in the context, the them is the hypocrites and the pagans or the unbelievers. He says, do not be like them because the way they pray shows that they do not believe in God as He truly is. Their prayer betrays what it is they believe about God. Jesus says, do not be like them because when they pray, it is as though God is actually insignificant to their prayer. Verse 5. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, notice now, to be seen by others. The objective is to be seen by others. God is not most important or really 
significant at all. Now, one of the reasons many people are afraid to pray in front of others is because they're thinking more about those others than the one we're supposed to be addressing. And it would help cure you of that fear if you would understand. I'm talking to my father, and there's some people around. And Jesus said the way that they pray not only reveals belief in a God, small g, who's insignificant, but they also pray as if God is impersonal. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. It's as if for them, God is a cosmic slot machine, and if you keep pulling the same lever, you're bound to hit the jackpot at some point. Another way we can see that we're thinking of God impersonally is when we pepper our our prayers with certain filler words or phrases. I think sometimes we do that because we are nervous, which partly goes back to the previous point. We're more concerned about other people and what they hear. But we need to remember to whom we're talking. It's God, not other people. And so we can talk to God as we talk to persons. And if we bear that in mind, that will at least mitigate some of the apprehension and nervousness that we have. Improper prayer is to a God who is insignificant, Jesus says, in the minds of those who offer the prayer, impersonal. And Jesus says, God can also be considered ignorant in the way some people pray. Verse 8 again, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Sometimes when we pray, if we're honest about it, we do so as if we're informing God of what's happening down here. He already knows the details. He knows you're in the hospital. He knows what room number. He knows what ailment you have. He knows you need money, and He knows precisely how much. He knows you've sinned, so confession of that sin is not for His benefit, to clue him in, as it were. Now, some will rightly ask, well, then why ask God for anything if he already knows everything? Bingham Hunter, in his book, The God Who Hears, posed that question. Why pray to a God who knows everything? And he gives the answer, why would you want to pray to a God who doesn't? It's precisely because God knows everything that he can act in our best interest. And as we'll see in the weeks ahead, praying is never for the purpose of informing an omniscient God. Seeing a God who is insignificant, impersonal, and ignorant are just some of the beliefs that are exposed in the way that people pray and sometimes the way we pray. And so over the next few weeks, I hope to help us all learn to pray with our eyes open. That is, to be aware of who we're praying to and why we're praying to Him. Because as one has said, every misconception about prayer is first a misconception about God. How we approach God and what we bring to Him reflect our understanding or misunderstanding of His character. So in this series, we are going to survey select prayers from Scripture to help us evaluate the manner and the content of our communication with God so that it aligns with who He is and what He wants for us. Today we begin with a portion of the model prayer that Jesus gave to His followers. 
Let's ask him to help us as we do. Our Father, you are the one who is high and lifted up, and we are amazed that we can call you our Father. We've gathered to give you what you deserve, our praise and devotion, but we acknowledge that apart from you, we can do nothing. So we ask you to give us what we need this hour so that we can see ourselves as we are and you as you are, and thereby we will be changed to better reflect you in the way we think and the way we talk and the way we act. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now this passage where Jesus teaches how to pray, as opposed to then how not to pray, is the one that is normally called the Lord's Prayer. But as I've noted for you over the years, it's really the disciples' prayer because it was given from the Lord, but to us, that is, His followers, His disciples. So it's a prayer that we pray, not a prayer that He prays. It's not the Lord's Prayer then. And in fact, it could not be a prayer that Jesus Himself would pray at least in one respect. Because in that prayer, Jesus says, forgive us our debts, that is, forgive us our sins. And of course, he never sinned and therefore never need to ask for forgiveness. And so it's a prayer for us. And thankfully, the Lord is not content to tell us how not to pray, but he proceeds now to tell us how to pray. Verse 9. This then is how you should pray, Jesus says. He's telling us how we should pray, not primarily what we should pray. That is, this prayer is given as an example. It's not a script to recite. It's okay to recite this prayer. But it's more important to understand the model of prayer that Jesus has provided and then translate that into our own personalized prayers. So rather than praying as though God were insignificant or though God is impersonal or ignorant, here is how Jesus says his followers should pray. And it's on the outline that you should have received when you came in this morning. And I say, first of all there, we should talk to the Father appropriately. Now, as I said, I expect I'll get to address what Jesus says in the first few petitions in the list that he gives in this model prayer, and then we'll continue next Sunday. But Jesus says this, that we can address in verse 9, God as our Father. Now please notice something that we could easily skip over. Jesus says, our Father, not just my Father. And this is because when you call God your Father, you need to be reminded of His other children. We call God Father because we are part of something larger than ourselves, namely the family of God. He is our Father collectively as His people. The Bible says everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. So it's emphasizing the fact that we are all born into the family of God And we have a relationship of love with our Father and with those that the Father has brought into His family. So it's okay to pray, my Father, from time to time, but we need to always remember that we are not lone rangers in following Jesus. And we need to have constantly before us that our purpose is bigger than our individual lives. One of the worst things that 
you can do as you walk through life in a fallen world is to reduce the size of your purpose to the size of what's going on in your life. So we should have a perspective that goes beyond our immediate issues and connects to the plan of God that includes the family of God and His church of which I am, we are to be a part. And that's partly why then, when I pray on Sunday mornings here at the end, I ask all of us to say amen together. I'm trying to emphasize our identity as the body together as the family of God. Now when Jesus says to call God our Father, then. We probably do not recognize how radical that was for his listeners to hear. The Jews of this period used exalted titles for God like sovereign Lord, King of the universe, and the like. But Jesus is telling us we can address God the same way he does. He's bidding us to address God the same way that Jesus addresses God. Jesus says in Matthew 11, I praise you, Father. Jesus' relationship to the Father was one of openness such that He not only has that relationship, but it is the type of relationship through which He can make requests and yet also also submit to the will of the Father. He prayed, you'll remember, the night before He was crucified in the garden, my Father If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. His relationship to the Father is so close that he can urge the Father to take particular action. As he's on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And in the prayer that Jesus did pray, on the night before he died, he spoke of the unique relationship that he has with the Father. John chapter 17. Father, the hour has come. Glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world began. And so Jesus says, come to God as your Father, and that's how I, Jesus, come to him. Come to him the same way that I do. And in so doing, he is telling us that we should talk to the Father affectionately or or warmly. I quoted earlier Jesus on the cross asking the Father to let this cup of death pass from him if it's possible. Here's another version of what Jesus said in that moment from the Gospel of Mark. Mark says this, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Now notice the Abba, Father. Jesus spoke Aramaic. And the Aramaic word for Father is that. It is Abba. These are the the simple syllables that a child learns very early on. The natural utterance of a child to their parent. Dada is probably too informal. And not what this word is representing when applied to God. But it is expressive of an especially close relationship to God. Now, for Jesus to call God his Father, that's one thing, to call him his Abba. Since he's the unique Son of God, he is God the Son, who has for eternity enjoyed the most intimate of relationships with the Father. He is the Son of God in a unique way and therefore calls God his Abba. But he teaches us here 
to refer to God ourselves the same way. So think about that. We can approach God the same way that God the Son approaches Him. And this is because the Bible says of us elsewhere, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. Those who can truly call God their Father are those who have been what the Bible calls born again. They're in His family. He regenerates them, gives them spiritual life, and then adopts them, places them in His family. And we need to be born again, reborn spiritually, because the Bible says this about all of us. We were by nature children of wrath. So we have one nature, we need a new one. And that new one comes from above. That's in fact what to be born again means. It means literally to be born not just a second time, Yes, it is a second birth, but it's a spiritual birth from above, to be born from above. Those born into the family of God inherit the splendors of heaven, hear this, as heirs and co-heirs with Christ. Right after Romans 8 tells us of our adoption into God's family and says, He's given us His Spirit whereby we cry, Abba, Father. It makes this amazing statement. If we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So when you come to pray, we need to come to pray understanding what it means when we say, Our Father. And where that places us in His care not only now, but what He has promised for us in the future as heirs and co-heirs with Christ. And so after Jesus' resurrection, as He prepared to return to heaven from which He came, He said this, I ascend to my Father, but notice, do we have that? I ascend to my Father and your Father. And my God and your God. What is mine is yours. Now, contrary to the theologically liberal notion of the universal fatherhood of God and the universal brotherhood of humanity, this fatherhood is reserved for those who are in the family of God and are followers of Jesus. There is, of course, a sense in which God is the Father of all, since He's the Creator of all humanity and all that is. And so speaking to pagans in Athens, Greece, in Acts chapter 17, Paul quoted one of their, their own poets and said, we are God's offspring. But it is when one comes to God through believing in Jesus Christ, who He is and what He did for us, that we're adopted into God's family. And the Apostle John speaks of that in 1 John 3. He says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. Now, if he left it there, that's amazing in itself that we could have that title. <laughs> that we could be called the children of God. But then it's as if John, as he's writing this, he thinks about the fact that we are not only called the children of God, but that is in fact what we are. 
And we see the contrast between those in the family and those who are outside in that very same verse because it goes on to say this, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. And so there are those who know the Lord, those who have a close relationship with the Lord because they are in His family. And then there is the world outside of that family, not His children in the spiritual sense. an amazing and infinite and eternal privilege to be the children of God and to be heirs and co-heirs with Christ. And as in any healthy family, God disciplines His sons and daughters, but He does so for the purpose of holiness. The writer of Hebrews says, God disciplines us for our good, and here's why, in order that we may share in His holiness. So when we pray to God as our Father, It's a title that's loaded with meaning regarding our identity as children of God. It's an important part of setting the tone and the context of our prayers. When we come to Him as beloved children then, not as fearful slaves. So we should approach the Father affectionately and and warmly, our Father, Abba, Father. But also reverently. Lest we take this truth about God as our Father and we become flippant in our approach to Him, Jesus adds that we should approach Him, yes, as our Father, but in verse 9 He says He's our Father in heaven. Friends, we need to remember that although God is our Father, our Abba, He is still high and exalted and on the throne of the universe, and we should approach Him with both of those in mind. Today's church takes an all-too-casual approach to God. God is just like a big brother in the sky, or we use the same terms for God that we use of our favorite athlete or celebrity. God, you rock. God, you're awesome. Set in the same tone as we might say of Patrick Mahomes or Taylor Swift. Don't know if we have any Swifties here. Now, awesome is a good word, of course, for God. So it's not the word in itself. It's the casual tone with which we refer to Him. I quoted earlier uh, Jesus saying, I praise you, Father. But here's the complete version of what He said in Matthew 11. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Our Father in heaven, let us remember that He condescends to allow us to approach Him in this intimate relationship, but never forget who He is. So far from the kind of adolescent, casual, God's rad, He's my dad, that I saw on a t-shirt one time. Far from that kind of approach in today's church or the completely other holy distant approach of the overly formal liturgical church, Jesus captures both the eminence of God, that He is with us and He invites us into relationship with Him, but also the transcendence of God, that He is high above us and all that He has made. And He does that in one marvelous phrase, our Father in heaven. And after telling us how we can then address God, Jesus provides six model requests, six petitions 
in this prayer that we can always bring before God. And please note the order of these, these six. The first three are about God, and the last three are about us. That order is important. If our prayers are to be centered on God, we start with God, and that's what Jesus says we are to do. So we'll see what he says about how we start with God. But just think about how we normally pray. And think about what we start with. Most of us start with our laundry list of things for us. Here's what's going on, God. Here's what I need. And it's as if we are giving our order to a waiter sometimes for God to do our bidding. But Jesus says, slow down. Address God appropriately. Place your prayer in the context of your relationship with Him. And then address Him, first of all, about Him and then about yourself. So we start with God. We should talk to the Father appropriately. And I say in your outline, we should talk to the Father about the Father. So far from being impersonal, we can address God as our Father. And now, far from being insignificant, we address God about Him and His concerns and what He deserves and desires. We're not praying to be heard by other people. We're praying to be heard by God. And we place Him and His interests first in order to keep our hearts and minds focused appropriately. And that first of those six requests is at the end of verse 9. Hallowed be your name. We should talk to the Father about the Father, and this is telling us we should ask that His character be displayed. The word hallowed is the word that's translated elsewhere holy. It means to be made holy, to be set apart, to be revered. So Jesus is saying in the first request, our Father in heaven, here's the first request. It's about you, Father. Hallowed be your name. Set apart be your name. Revered be your name. Holy be your name. And I say, as I say, that word means to, to set apart, to revere. You see it in 1 Peter chapter 3, where we're told, in your hearts, revere, that is, hallow, Christ as Lord. So set it apart, revere it, have reverence for it. But what does it mean to hallow the name of God? I mean, the name and the letters G-O-D are not what Jesus is referring to. But rather, it's in Scripture, the name of a person has to do with their character. In fact, parents would name their children in the Bible based upon the kind of character that they would ask God to develop in those children. So not the baby book, so that, you know, you'd go through a five-year period and all the girls are named the same thing, and the boys are named the same thing, because we're all buying the same baby books, but rather names that had to do with character, and in Scripture, God's name has to do with His character. Exodus chapter 34, the Lord came down and proclaimed His name, the Lord. 
And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord. Notice what this name represents now. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. So those characteristics that are given after he proclaims the Lord, the Lord, and then says compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, all of those are the equivalent of the name of the Lord mentioned in verse 5, the name of the Lord represents His character, including these character qualities. The psalmist said, Those who know Your name trust in You, for You, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek You. So God's name is seen in His faithfulness. It's not just the letters G-O-D or L-O-R-D. The psalmist again, I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. I will sing the praises of the name of the Lord Most High. Now we put those on the screen on purpose in parallel lines. Rather than just continuing after the semicolon with I will sing the praises of the name of the Lord, we put them as separate lines and that's the way they appear in your Bible. Uh, in the NIV and most modern translations. And the reason for that is that in Hebrew poetry, which most of you know much of the Psalms are, that the poetry is done in what's called parallelism. And so you'll have one line and then you'll often have another line that explains that one. It's the equivalent to it. So in the typical form of Hebrew poetry, God's righteousness and His name then are paralleled, showing that they are equivalent. Jesus is saying that we should pray that God's character, that God's holiness be revered and honored and modeled by all people. Hallowed be your character. May who you are, God, be revered and reverenced among all you have made. May your character be made holy among your creation. Now you think about what that does to your prayer and my prayer as we set it in that kind of context. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Reverence for your character to be displayed in your world is what I desire most. It's the first thing I'm asking for. You have remade me and refashioned me as your child. I now share your nature, and I want to see that nature displayed among your creatures. The reason for which you made this world, to see your image in your image bearers everywhere you look. That's what I desire, Lord, and I not only desire to see it out there, it has to start here with me. I desire that my character display your character. It means I want to be holy. It means I eschew and abhor all that is unholy. If I pray that way to God, think about what that does then throughout my week. As I make choices about the things I'm going to watch, 
the things I'm going to say, the entertainments I'm going to engage in. As we talk to the Father about the Father, we should ask that His character be displayed in His world and by His people, starting with us individually, personally. And we should ask that His kingdom be established Verse 10, your kingdom come. It's the second of the six petitions, and it is your name, and now it is your kingdom. So you see these are focused on God, and we are getting the priority right. Jesus tells us, talk to the Father about the Father, then talk to the Father about the family. Your kingdom come. Throughout the first part of your Bible... The Old Testament prediction is made of a kingdom of complete transformation of the earth and its inhabitants. That kingdom was to be ruled over by one anointed of God, the one we know to be now the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. That kingdom is yet future, but Jesus has defeated death, accomplished his work, And now, given the name that is above every name, that every knee shall bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is going to happen in the future, just as it was promised in the first part of your Bible. And Jesus, the King, will reign over it. But make no mistake, Jesus is already King. He won't become King when he returns and establishes the kingdom. He is already king, and he is sitting at the right hand of the Father, at the Father's throne. It is simply that he is already king. His kingdom on earth is not yet. Now, there are lots of views about the kingdom. Some of you may know that. And so the kingdom is sometimes called uh, the millennium because that's Latin for a thousand And the Bible in Revelation chapter 20 says that this kingdom is a thousand years, and so the millennium. And then after the millennium, you have what we call the eternal state. It merges into the eternal state, Revelation 21 and 22. And so the millennium and number of views, you can be a premillennialist. So that means that Jesus returns pre, prior to the beginning of the millennium. And then he establishes it. That's what I believe. You can be an amillennialist. There actually is no kingdom. Uh, That is this literal kingdom like the Old Testament described, but rather Jesus is going to come and we are going to go immediately into the eternal state. So there's no intermediate kingdom period, called the kingdom. Ah, millennial, no millennium. That's what that means. Or there are people who are post-millennial. And I have to add, believe it or not, and the reason I say that is, look, there are a lot of good people, excellent people who are amillennial. I disagree, but I understand how they get there, and I won't bore you with it. But I don't get the post-millennial thing at all. The idea is that we are 
creating the kingdom now. And Jesus will return post the kingdom being established. And in effect, he inherits the kingdom that the church has established here. As John Calvin would say, good luck with that. <laughs> I would just say to, to you this, friends, that if the kingdom is already, or if what the kingdom is has been changed by Jesus and his teaching during his ministry, then the apostles did not get the memo. Because at the very end, at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, after he has done all of his teaching, after he has given parables about the kingdom over and over, and he has talked about the kingdom, and he says in this model prayer, your kingdom come, after he's done all of that, and they've been with him, he's raised from the dead, he's ready to ascend back to the Father. This is what they say. They asked him, Lord... Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, this would have been a good time for Jesus to go, you doofuses. I've been trying to tell you that there isn't going to be that. That's not going to happen. But that's not what Jesus does. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. The kingdom has not changed, and the kingdom is going to come. And they look for it, and Jesus does not correct them. He points them to the timing, but not the nature of the kingdom. Now, sometimes Jesus would speak of this age and the age to come. This age and the age to come which has led many people to believe that there's just now and then there's the eternal state, and that's why there's no kingdom, millennium in, in between. But I would suggest to you this, that now or this age, does it not have several phases to it? Right now, this age we're in, has it not had, it goes from creation to Christ's return. This, this age. It's had a lot of phases, hasn't it? The garden. That's a different phase than we have now. Heaven knows I'd love to have the garden, but we don't have it anymore. We were under the law. People were under the law for a period of time. That was a phase that we're no longer under. So this age has phases to it. And so I recommend to you to consider why would it be unreasonable to think that the age to come would have phases to it as well. The kingdom, the millennium, the, the Bible has promised Christ's return and he establishes it and then the eternal state. Having said that, Whatever one's view of the kingdom, to pray your kingdom come means this, you are dissatisfied with the present state of affairs. To say your kingdom come means, Lord, I want you on your throne on this earth and I want you to rule. We see the inadequacy of the rulers of this world. We see the inadequacies of the schemes of this world. And so we say with God's people throughout 2,000 years, as Paul ends his letter to the Corinthians, Maranatha, that is come, Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. And the Bible itself ends, Revelation chapter 22, come, 
Lord Jesus. Now listen, we cannot say that we want Jesus as king. That we want Jesus as king of this earth. If we do not make him in reality, day by day, king of our own lives. And so when you pray, your kingdom come. There's a dissatisfaction with the order of things now, and it's an implicit commitment on our part to say, Lord, you are Lord, King of my life as well. Now, there are four other petitions that Jesus gives that we will look at next week. So you don't get a take-home truth until next, until next week. But I want to end this way. I want to make sure that every person in this room has had opportunity to enter the family of God so that you can approach God as our Father in heaven. And so how does that happen? How does one who was a, by nature a child of wrath, as we saw in Ephesians 2.3, how do you move from being a child of wrath to a child of the Father that you can approach in this way? Well, you recognize that you, that you are that sinner. Realize that you're a sinner. That when the Bible talks about those outside of God's family, it's talking about us in our natural state. All of us come into the world that way. Realize that that's you. Realize that you are a sinner. And recognize that Jesus Christ is the only answer to that sin. That he did for you what you could not do for yourself. He lived the life that you were made to live. He died the death that you deserved. And in that death on the cross, he took upon himself the punishment that belonged to you and me. He took the anger, the wrath of God the Father at sin, and it was poured out on him so that it does not need to be poured out on you in eternity forever. Jesus did that for you recognize that if you believe that then you tell him so lord i believe that you are my savior and i know that you are the lord and so i repent i'm going to follow you i'm no longer going to go my direction i'm going to go your direction and you say it in your own words from your heart to god i'm a sinner jesus is the savior and only savior for my sin and he's the Lord who I desire to follow with my life. We're going to pray. You have an opportunity to do that now. And if you do that now, we would love to know about it because we want to help you take first steps in, in faith. That's what we're here to do, help people grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow together then. Father, we thank you for who you are. You are indeed high and lifted up. You are the Father in heaven. Thank you that you have condescended to come to, to send your Son to earth, and then having done that, to make him our high priest and our intercessor so that we can come to you directly in prayer. And Father, we do desi desire to see your character displayed in our lives and in your world. We do desire to see the machinations of this world dissolved and you rule directly as only you can. And Lord, we desire that, that every person with whom we come in contact 
be brought into the family of God so that they can know you as Father. I pray for any who came into this room today without a relationship with you, that they might turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, the only solution for their sin, their Lord and their Creator and their God. Receive forgiveness that only His blood can provide, and then bow before Him with their lives and follow Him for the remainder to the praise of your glorious grace. And Lord, we will praise you for what you accomplish today in bringing some to yourself and then, Lord, in our lives as we put into practice how the Lord Jesus taught us to pray. May it transform then the way we think about how we approach you and how we approach our lives this week. And we will give you the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together for our closing song. different classes. One of them will be in this room, and we need to reset the room for that. We're going to bring some tables in. So if you're sitting in these middle two sections, we ask you to take your things with you as you go out to enjoy Cafe Community, and we do invite you all to stay for Cafe Community bagels and refreshments in our area out here. And then uh, for our second hour, which starts back here in this room, adult classroom three, and the kids zone at 1115.